0: Welcome to our show today. I'm Nate Johnson, the producer and graduate assistant for the Gortney Institute. Today on our show, we have Dr. Russ McCullough, the founder of the Gortney Institute and Wayne Angel Chair of Economics. We also have Dr. Justin Clark, the Menard Family Professor of Philosophy and Ethics. We also have Dr. Peter Jacobson, the Gortney Professor of Economic Education Research, and my fellow graduate assistant, Luke Graham. All right. Well, Texas recently passed a law changing abortion laws within their state, and that's been kicking up a storm of talk, and the Gorton Institute here is not afraid to jump into some issues like that, especially with our resident philosopher, Dr. Justin Clark. So, Justin, you've talked about this in class to kind of examine ethical and moral issues related to it? Yeah.
1: In our ethics and society class, we have a section on applied ethics. So we talk about things like the death penalty. We talk about things like our moral duties to you know, aiding the needy. And we talk about abortion. Abortion is an issue that is particularly thorny in popular culture, especially because we have both sides of this issue thinking that they are morally in the right. And both sides usually making moral arguments for their position. And uh, the populace is split pretty much down the middle, and it's an acrimonious split. Both sides not only think that they're, well, kind of right, they think that the other side is, is morally wrong. And so I think it would be interesting to go through what I consider to be the two best good faith arguments, both for the permissibility of abortion and against the permissibility of abortion. And the reason I think it's important to go through both of these arguments is because I think that the discourse, especially in uh, popular culture around this issue, is so bad in that I think the main arguments that you find on either side are simply question begging. So you often find people saying things like, abortion is murder and murder is immoral. Therefore, abortion is immoral. So that's one argument you often hear. And another argument you often hear on the other side is something like abortion is elective surgery and elective surgery is permissible. Therefore, abortion is permissible. So that's the argument. You know, it's my body. Uh, I get to do what I want with it. Since I can take regular elective surgery, I should also be able to, take, uh, to have an abortion. Now, both of these arguments do what's called begging the question in philosophy. And begging the question does not mean raising the question. Big in the question is a specific kind of fallacy, which means assuming the truth of what you are trying to prove. Now, we can take that first argument. Abortion is murder. Murder is immoral. Therefore, abortion is immoral. Nobody who disagrees with that conclusion is going to let you get away with that first premise, right? Nobody's going to go, oh, my gosh, you're right. I always knew abortion was murder, but I never thought it was immoral before, right? Everyone who agrees that abortion is murder is going to think it's immoral. And so that first premise is doing all the work. And that's not the way arguments are supposed to work. Arguments are supposed to take incontroversial premises that everyone can agree to and come to a conclusion that's substantive. Um, And on the other side of that, the argument that, well, abortion is merely elective surgery and elective surgery is morally permissible, therefore abortion is morally permissible. No one who thinks that abortion is the murder of a you know or the killing of an innocent child is going to let you get away with that first premise that abortion is elective surgery. The people who disagree with the claim that abortion is permissible will say, no, abortion is more than elective surgery. There's a life that's involved there that you're ending, right? And I think these are the most popular arguments you hear on both sides. And so I think we do ourselves a disservice when we try to you know win, we pit these arguments against each other because what they both come down to in the end is just shouting at each other, abortion is morally permissible and abortion isn't morally permissible.
0: I think the thing that I've always struggled with with abortion, I guess, I think is along those lines, but you've got two lives. So I like to measure the sanctity of life as the individual unit of measurement, so to speak, for society's welfare. And so now you've got a life within a life so i do believe it starts at conception but at the same time i struggle with we have an existing life that is there and it's like one of the most bizarre situations that i think we were confronted with with examining things of you know when you have two people that are outside of the womb so to speak and one harms the other then you can kind of sort that out and it might come down to a judge deciding where they think the fault lies, but you still have two people there. Whereas here you've got a hundred percent dependence on another life. And I don't think we have any other circumstance like
1: that. Well, why don't we run through the way I, I kind of picture this and you can tell me if you want to do it a different way or not, is we can go through Judith Jarvis Thompson's argument in in defense of abortion, which is the most popular article, probably written on abortion ever period Judith Jarvis Thompson was an excellent and famous philosopher whose reputation is well-deserved, and she is excellent for coming up with these kinds of thought experiments that can kind of shed light on the way we view a problem. So her argument is in defense of abortion, then maybe we can take a break, and then we can talk about the argument that Don Marquis gives in his article, abortion is Why Abortion is Immoral. And both of these arguments, I think, are done in good faith. That is, they don't beg the question. They don't make these mistakes that I talked about earlier. And then maybe at the end of it, we can talk about which argument we find more persuasive and why. I know I find one of these arguments more persuasive. This is, I might also say, a question that, you know, in the 20 years of my life, let's face it, it's almost 40 years of my life now. But In the (laughs) last 20 years of my life, I have actually changed my mind actually multiple times on this issue. But- The reason I changed my mind actually had to do with some of these arguments. So Yeah, that sounds good. So should we just jump into the Judith Jarvis Thompson's argument? It's it's a very famous argument. It starts out by saying, let's imagine that you wake up and you wake up in a hospital bed and you have been kidnapped and you have been attached to a famous violinist. Let's call this violinist Val, right? Like attached as in physically attached or? Yes, there is a tube leading <laughs> from you to a machine and that machine has a tube leading to Val. Okay. And you have been kidnapped by the Society of Music Appreciation. Now, Val has a rare blood disease and it turns out that the you are the only possible donor for Val. Now, what they explain to you is we kidnapped you and, you know, against your will, we strapped you to Val. Val... Has this disease. What Val needs is Val needs you to hang out here for nine months, and Val is going to need to use your kidneys to help purify their blood. And after nine months, Val will be fine and we can disconnect you. But you're the only person who can help Val. And that's why we kidnapped you. And <laughs> sorry about that. And it's going to be nine months. And I realize that's a little bit of an imposition, but just know. If you disconnect from Val, Val will die. Right? Here is the point when you know in ethics classes usually the, the professor will ask their students a couple of questions. One is, would it be nice for you to stay connected to Val? And the answer is sure, sure. Right? Now, another question is, should are you morally required to stay connected to Val? Val, not vowel. And here people usually answer no. And the reason they answer no is, you know, when you ask them is something like, well, you were kidnapped,
0: Mm -hmm. right? Yeah.
1: You don't know Val. You didn't consent to any of this. So even though it would be nice for you to stay connected to Val for nine months. So this reasoning goes, surely you are not morally required to stay connected to Val for nine months. Now, some people can see where this argument is going and to stay consistent. Sometimes people say, well, actually, actually I think you are required to stay connected to Bell for nine months to which Jarvis Thompson will say, okay, suppose it's not nine months. Suppose it's nine years. Suppose it's for the rest of your life. Suppose the doctors say, actually, after nine months, what's going to happen is your kidneys will be shot. And so you'll be dead You'll die after nine months when we disconnect Val, but Val will live on, right? Then do you have to stay connected to Val? And most people then say, okay, well, in that case, no, uh, probably not for the rest of your life, maybe not for nine months either, right? Mm -hmm. Now, let's look at what this argument is supposed to show, right? Because like the trolley problem, the trolley problem isn't really about trolleys. And this violinist problem isn't about violinists, right? Nobody really... Peter is shocked here. Um, you know, this, this isn't an argument about what you should do should you find yourself attached to a violinist. The point is to try to make a situation that's analogous in some ways to certain types of pregnancies. Now, if we just take that first example we talked about where you are taken against your will and you wake up next to Val, what kind of pregnancy is that analogous to? Um, and The answer is it's not analogous to all pregnancies, right? It's analogous to
0: rape or something. A
1: pregnancy from rape, right? Where you have been impregnated against your will. Does that make sense? Yeah. Now, so this is actually a it's a modest argument. It isn't meant to show that all abortions are permissible. It is meant to be an argument against the claim that all abortions are impermissible, right? So it is supposed to say, since we, since you think we ought to be, we are morally permitted to disconnect from Val in this case, you would also be morally permitted to have an abortion in a pregnancy. That's the result of rape. Does that make sense?
2: I'm not asking you to agree with it, but just does the argument make sense?
1: Okay. So then the strategy that she is going to pursue is since she's got that wedge in okay, you agree that abortions are permissible in some of these cases, anytime you want, you know, the argument and the strategy here is then going to be to try to expand this wedge, right? And you can also think about that example she gave about what if being connected to Val is going to kill you, right? Val will walk free at the end of this, but you'll be dead. And you can think, well, that's analogous to a kind of pregnancy where the mother will die if she brings the child to term. Does that make sense?
0: And then we could add in likely dying, I suppose, if if we want to do a 90% chance of dying or 80% chance of dying. I I hate to do, that's the part of that argument that always bothers me that there's still a chance.
1: Yes, but to make her point, let's just stick with 100% 100%. chance first, right? Because the way that the argumentative strategy... the way we want to do this. I'm expanding this, too fast. Yes. We want to be, we want to make the strongest arguments that we can for each of these positions. And the way we do that is by saying, let's say it's hundred percent that somebody's going to die. Right. Yeah. And then some of those people think, well, in those cases, then you are permitted in, in this case, an abortion would be permitted. So the argument goes. Yeah. Now, I just want to point out what Jarvis Thompson has done in this argument, because I think it's, it's laudable and it's argumentatively respectable which is she is not saying abortion is merely elective surgery. She's taking very seriously the claim that abortion is a killing, right? She's not saying, oh, don't worry about violinists, right? Violinists aren't really people. Violinists don't count as people. They're not people until you disconnect them, right? Then they're people, right? She is saying disconnecting from this violinist would be a killing. That's the question. Would it be a permissible killing? Um, And her argument is that in some of these cases, at least, these are permissible killings. Does that make sense? Yep. So even at the end of this, at the end of the Jarvis Thompson's article, she makes the claim, well, you know, suppose the doctors tell you, you know, if if you disconnect, you're going to kill him. And you go, okay, but it's my right, I'm still going to disconnect. And then you disconnect. Now, suppose he doesn't die for some miracle. Are you allowed to then turn around and brain him and kill him then?
2: No, obviously (laughs) not, right?
1: She goes, that would be obviously immoral. Wow. And then expecting that little. And then there's also the question about that you can say, well, suppose it's not, you know, she started off by saying, suppose it's not nine, you know, suppose it is nine months, suppose it's not nine months, suppose it's nine years, suppose it's the rest of your life, suppose it'll kill you. What if it's only for a week? In that case, do you think you're permitted to disconnect from the violinist? what if it's only a minute, right? And I think most people's intuitions in the minute case are something like, no, it would actually be very immoral of you to disconnect if it only took a minute of your time. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I think she is arguing that this shows is that uh, this, while she thinks some of these abortions are permissible, They get more impermissible, even on Jarvis Thompson's account, as time goes on and as the burden on the mother
2: decreases. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's a weird argument to me because I know that what you're saying is true about people's intuition changing, but I'm not a lever puller, as you know. Mm -hmm. And so when you say nine minutes, nine years, uh, to me, to be consistent, your answer needs to remain the same. And so I recognize that's not true for most people, but it seems like it should be true for most people. I don't see why consistency demands of you. What about nine seconds, th- seconds? Nine. I se- think nine seconds to nine years should have this, <laughs> the same, both of them have the same results, your decision, whether it's nine seconds or, or nine years. So it seems they should be both impermissible. I don't
1: understand why consistency demands that you deny that the weight of the burden makes a difference.
0: Yeah, the cost benefit analysis is changing at least. I think you'd agree
1: with. It. There is a variable
2: that changes. You, you
0: still so might should come up with your answer, no, but the cost benefit ratio I, is I, changing.
2: I don't know. I I so I don't think that the burden placed on you should influence the morality of the decision. It might change your decision, but I think that's different. so I think you're more likely to breach your moral code that way, or I would be. But I don't understand how the burden on you makes your decision. It's like you know, how much of a burden needs to be on you before it's okay for you to unjustify shoot someone in the head. It's like, does that change? You know, what if, if you don't shoot someone in the head, someone will shoot you in the head. Still don't shoot someone in the head. That's my answer It's like, still don't do it.
0: And for Justin's answer, we will be back in just a bit. What a cliffhanger, (laughs) what a cliffhanger. We'll be back in just a bit.
3: By 2030, the Gordney Institute will be known for its alumni, supporters, and participants who incorporate economic understanding with their faith in their careers, vocations, communities, and personal lives. The Institute will be a nationally recognized source for knowledge and contributions to student experience, society's understanding of private and public solutions to poverty, and the overlaps of market, governance, and faith. Young audience will look to the Institute for challenging and engaging education on faith and economics. If you enjoy our podcast and want to support our work, please consider a one time or reoccurring donation. Please visit Donate at
0: 123povertysex.org. The Gordon Institute at Ottawa University has a huge high school event coming up here, December 3rd and 4th. That's a Friday to Saturday called PPE Fest. PPE stands for Philosophy, Politics, and Economics. And we have some awesome guest speakers coming in. T.K. Coleman from the Foundation for Economic Education and Dr. Jim Courtney, And then we will do Saturday's event with a PPE contest where high school minds will compete and flourish. If you know somebody that might be interested in that event, we have some travel scholarships available. Please contact Peter, Justin, or Russ today. Okay, so we're back, the cliffhanger. Peter will not pull that lever no matter what. And Justin, is he moral or immoral? I'm not
2: sure here. This is a big cliff. And, and to be fair, the lever pulling is even a little bit different than the example I ended on, which is should the personal burden placed on you in your life affect your decision to murder someone else is where we think I like. So you're to... a
0: big reader of Job.
2: That, and, and, so, and so, yeah. Uh, so my, my is, well, nine seconds, nine months, nine years, nine decades. This is all just increasing personal burden. So it doesn't seem like to me that it should change the answer.
1: In the applied ethics literature, you can look at at least three different cases. One would be the case where the bringing the child to term would kill the mother. Another alternative would be where an example where bringing the child to term will result in the death of both the child and the mother. Right, and then so the argument goes: even if you are unwilling to say that an abortion is permissible in the case where bringing the child to term would kill the mother what would you think about a case where bringing the child to term will kill will uh, result in both the death of the child and the mother
2: that is it seems like there's no sure yeah no... in the in the case of 100 certainty then you know i would say it's, in that case it's permissible so this, Ooh, you got the wedge in. This, guess
0: a wedge. So
2: this is this is like an ectopic pregnancy, but of course, in the real world, the only type of pregnancy that's associated with this 100 likelihood for both is the ectopic pregnancy, and so the wedge sort of exists, but the wedge <laughs> stops and ends at this specific case, I think, which is actually the the Catholic Church's stance, and and I think that's how they're consistent, is they say ectopic pregnancies and nothing else.
1: Yes. So given that that's given that that's kind of the argument for the permissibility of some abortions, maybe we should turn to Don Marquis's argument about why abortion is immoral. So Don Marquis is a philosopher at the University of Kansas. He was, he's retired. He's uh, famously very uh, ornery and kind of cranky. I've seen him reduce visiting scholars to tears. (laughs) And, you know, he constantly says things like, I'm just a simple Kansas boy, but I think blah, 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 (laughs) blah. And Marquis is in no way religious. So he brings no kind of religious argument to this debate at all. But he has provided what a lot of people think is a very, very compelling argument for the claim that abortion is immoral. Now, why this is important, I think it's actually important that he isn't religious, because one of the things that I think you would want if you are trying to convince somebody who disagrees with you is you don't want to rely on any premises that, and that somebody who disagrees with you isn't going to accept, right? Um, and so, you know, great if you are already in the same church as somebody and you can say, well, look, according to this thing we both agree uh, on, the rules say X is not permitted. But if you have a broader argument that can appeal to more people, that's better. So Marquis says, look, we disagree about abortion because we disagree about what counts as a permissible killing. So what we should do instead of saying abortion is moral or immoral, we should look at killing generally and say, what makes killing wrong when it is wrong? And if we can figure that out, what makes killing wrong when it is wrong? and What makes killing OK when it's OK? Then we can apply that criterion to abortion and decide whether or not abortion fits the bill as a permissible killing or an impermissible killing. And he says, well, we don't want to start out by looking at a problem case. We don't wanna argue about abortion first, right? Because we disagree about whether that's a permissible or impermissible killing right off the bat. Let's suppose instead we talk about you and me. What would make it wrong for me to kill you or for you to kill me? Why would killing us be wrong? And this, I think, is a brilliant argumentative starting point because everybody agrees
0: that it would be wrong for you to kill them, right? Kind of gets on what I was bringing up in the beginning of two individuals that let's start with that, that, or we have a better understanding of that. Maybe I'm going to find out what the best argument is here shortly.
1: Well, let's just get into it. Why would it be wrong for me to kill you or for you to kill me? And Marquis says, well, it can't be that what makes it, what would make it wrong wrong for you to kill me would be that it would hurt, right? Because that would mean that it would be okay if, you know, after I went to sleep tonight, or maybe before I went to sleep tonight, you put a little something in my drink so that I slept a little bit harder. And then when I was, uh, when I was out, you just went and took a 12 gauge and blew my head off, right? That would be permissible if the only thing that made killing wrong was the infliction of pain, right? So, well, some people say, well, what makes killing wrong is that it kind of brutalizes the killer. And he says, that can't be right either. It's not like, what would make me killing you wrong isn't because it would make me a bad person. That puts the horse in front of the cart. What would make me a bad person is that I did something that I killed you and it was wrong to kill you. So that can't explain it either. So sometimes people say, well, you know, it would be wrong to kill me because a lot of people, it would, you know, it would hurt a lot of people in my family's feelings, right? I, I'm loved by the community. You know, I'm I'm an esteemed professor at Auto My Students would be angry, right? And then you could say, well, actually, I've read your student reviews. Nobody would be. Angry. <laughs> and, and, and the students might be happy that you died, Professor Clark, right? So that can't be it either, right? If if what made killing wrong was the effect it had on other people, it would be perfectly fine for us to just go down, you know, and kill a drifter who didn't have any family, right? Nobody was harmed by it. So that can't be right either. And Marcus says, look, what makes killing wrong when it is wrong is that it deprives you or me of a future that we would value had we lived it, right? You and I, you know, depri- killing somebody deprives them of something that's, prob- that's, more, that's very important to them, often more important than anything else, which is a future that they would value were they to live it. Does that make sense? Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: So note that he's not saying that it deprives some somebody of a future that they currently value. This is why, you know, you're permitted to try to talk people out of suicide and even physically restrain people from suicide. Somebody saying, you know, if your roommate says, you know, I'm going to kill myself, you're not obligated to say, well, since you don't value your future, therefore it's obviously not valuable to you. What we think is you're mistaken about your future. You would value your future were you to live it, right? Infants, two-year-olds don't value their future, right? They don't, you know, and a pre-linguistic infant doesn't think, you know, I, I can't wait till I'm a, you know, senior partner a or A whatever. linguistic toddler. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly, right? So, and this seems to tell us that it would be wrong to kill you and it would be wrong to kill me because we both have these futures that we would value. And it would be wrong to kill me even if I woke up this morning and said, oh, my God, I don't value my future. Right. That's why we think it's wrong to kill normally. Now, in this case, then we should look and say, well, what does this say about cases of abortion? Do fetuses have futures that they would value?
0: And to me, this comes right back to only if you think that the fetus is alive currently. No.
1: I,
2: actually, I actually think all you need is that they would become one at some point because if they become okay. up at some point- Do they have those... a
0: chance of becoming one?
2: A... Yeah. I
1: so, say. I mean, even the verbiage you used, if they would become, that implies that there's a kind of identity over time between the fetus and the adult. I was right? just
0: trying to tease out if it is considered a human or not, and when, I guess. This seems to be where the argument usually comes back to.
1: I don't think it much rests on that, on whether it is, I mean, surely the fetus is human, right? All its cells have the same amount of chromosomes in its uh, DNA. I mean, that's what I mean, I, human, I right? agree
0: with that. But I think some people would argue it's not at that point. I, th- I thought is where some people go with that.
1: Some people argue that fetuses aren't people, but they don't usually argue that they're not human. Okay. The idea is that all humans aren't aren't people on this view that to be a person requires you know, something. Personhood additional. requires additional. Yeah. Fetuses are biologically human. They just are right. And so on this view, does a fetus have a life, a future that it would value? Yes, it does. Does the fetus currently value that future? No, but that's, that's immaterial. No what matters about what and what makes killing wrong when it is wrong is that it deprives It deprives something of a future that it would value were it to have that future. And so now we have to ask, well, what do we mean by fetus here, right? Is this like post the Texas bill that you brought up is Mm -hmm. post heartbeat, right? When does the clock start, right? Because that that is the question that, uh, that abortion depends on, right? When is abortion permissible? We have three answers. Never, sometimes, or always, right? Do we think that it becomes impermissible to kill a human once it is born, once it is seven years old, once it is seven weeks in gestation? And on this argument, we say, well, when does the organism come into being? And clearly, the answer there has to be something like conception. conception. Does this mean that on Marquis's view, then, is contraception immoral? No because individual sperm and ovum do not have futures that they would value. You never see you know, a 42 year old sperm at the, uh, <laughs> at the grocery store going, man, I'm glad I made it, right? <laughs> the, yeah, the unification of a sperm and an ovum, right? Creates something new. And that thing that is conceived is the thing that has the future value. You kind of have to deal
2: with archetypes here. Like archety- archetypically, does sperm turn into human being? No. Ar- archetypically, does sperm and egg together become human being that values its future? Yes. Like that. That's the art. There's a probability that it won't happen, just like there's a probability Russ could die in his sleep tonight. But that doesn't mean that I get to shoot him in the head, right? <laughs> and so the archetype of sperm and egg together, becoming a human at some point, I think explains why there's a difference after conception and before conception. I'm always kind of uncomfortable
1: to talk of archetype. So I'll just okay. agree with you. I need but, to but hear why this
0: archetype thing, I think I got it from the context, but how would you define archetype or what does that it mean? It means
2: in the normal case, which is where of course all the work is done, but in the normal case, something will happen a certain way. And so like okay. the, the archetype of okay, yeah. the For hero purposes. is someone who fights a dragon, right? The archetype of sperm and egg is like, unless something odd happens, something strange happens that that causes something to happen, if they come together, then this is a new yeah, human. In
0: all likelihood, it's a new and human. And so
2: I like using this because it gets us away from this probability question of like, oh, well, you know, they might not be born in the first place. And so really, sperm and egg together doesn't actually mean that it's like a an oh. unique human or something like that. Well, it's like, no. But if we play probability games, we can do this with like, you know, it's more justified to kill 80 year olds because, you know, they're more likely to die in their sleep like tonight. But I want to bring up an objection, which is uh, maybe you were planning on addressing at some point, which is we still have this problem of, okay, is it okay to deprive someone of that future they would value if you, and we can take the hardest case, if you yourself in order to, if you yourself, if you don't deprive them of that future, you have the future deprived from you. In other other words, like, you know, I'm thinking of this like Saw. It's like, can you kill someone if Saw (laughs) tells you if you don't kill this person, then you yourself will be killed. I think this is the hard case, right?
1: Fantastic. Right. So what we have just been talking about is when killing is immoral, why it's immoral. Right. In general, how does that apply to uh, abortion cases? And his answer is, well, in general, then abortion is an immoral killing. It's prima facie immoral. If we don't know anything else about the case, we have to assume it's immoral. Just like we have to assume that uh, if you kill somebody and you don't know anything else about the case, you have to say, well, surely the killer's in the wrong, right? Right. But there are cases, we don't think that killing is always immoral, right? We think that there are cases where you are permitted to kill. The archetypical case (laughs) where you are permitted to kill is often in self-defense, right? People will often say, it is moral to kill in self-defense.
2: Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Though my example, a little bit different than self-defense, yeah. Even, yeah. I would say, in the abortion case. It's like if someone's falling off a building and they're going to land on you and they're going to live, it's not really self-defense to oh, like move out, out of the way, way and let them smash into the concrete because you know they weren't attacking you, right? It's, how can you have <laughs> self-defense if you're not being attacked? Aren't you defending yourself? Not, from, defending not, your not in the same sense that you're defending yourself from a gunman. I I, li- I actually don't see any difference in the intentions. Yeah, the intention. The intention of the person following versus the intention of the person trying to shoot you.
1: What you're talking about then has nothing to do with self-defense, which literally means just defending yourself. What you're talking about is defense from the
2: intention, intention, <laughs> yeah, intention yeah, sure. of somebody else, sure. right?
1: So if we just talk about self-defense, which means action you take in defense of yourself. I still
2: think typically yeah. we wouldn't think of moving out of the way of a falling person is self-defense. I think societal self-
0: defense, then you have to do a quick utilitarian calculation of. Children. No, I mean, I people think if use you... words like so defense. Cool. When people use defensive
1: driving, they say you need to learn to with. drive defensively. They don't mean because there are, there are other drivers on, you know, coming <laughs> at you killing. are firing guns at you. They <laughs> trying to you. They know. drive <laughs> such that you defend yourself.
2: I, I'm thinking of the episode of The Office where Jim Jim <laughs> well, Jim jumps out of the way as Michael is falling into the koi <laughs> ponds. And it would have been odd of Jim to say, oh, it's just self-defense. I didn't want Michael to run into me while he's falling into the koi ponds. So I I don't know. To, to me, maybe. There, but I we, we could get away from the semantics <laughs> and agree that it's not. There is a sense in which it is different. The sense is maybe intention.
0: And it's framed differently, maybe. The way you framed it. I think I'm on Justin's side.
1: So, the argument here then is that there are some cases of abortion, which Marquis is going to say are cases that would be considered killing and self-defense hmm. and those since abortion is a killing. It is usually immoral because it usually fits our definition of an immoral killing and that it deprives an organism of a future that it would value. On the other hand, there are some cases where abortion is permissible because it's it's akin to killing and self-defense. So before you voice this, let me just say that, there, you know, there's an, an example from like Philippa Foot who says and she actually was the one who came up with the trolley example. So I know you hate her already. Okay. And hers is like the third most famous argument on abortion. She says, suppose you're in a house with a rapidly growing child. This child is growing extremely rapidly. If you don't do anything, you'll be crushed to death, and the child will burst out of the house and then be able to walk uh, walk away free. And she says, "Surely you don't have to consign yourself to being crushed to death. You're allowed to attack the child and kill it in this case."
2: (laughs) (laughs) That seems odd, though. Let Let's go back to
1: all right. All right. right. (laughs) So you know she note that here. What's absent is exactly that thing that you were talking about earlier. The child is not trying to kill you, but the child is going to kill you nonetheless, right? Right. It's like if somebody is out of control in a car, right, coming at you or falling off a building, you are allowed to defend yourself, even if the other person didn't have malicious intent. So the argument goes. And now
2: you can. So let's go back to the very first way that you define this example which was you and me and so you're saying that it would be justified for me to kill you if for some other reason not killing you would lead to my death
1: what original example is this (laughs) so,
2: so so he said let's bring it to a situation where when it is why is it wrong for for you to kill me and so he said it's wrong for me to kill you or for you to kill me because we're depriving each other of a future and so let's continue with that example and say is it okay for me to take away your valued future because I might lose my valued future? And to me, the answer to that seems like no. And that's the most extreme case. And so it seems open and shut after you agree to that is if it's not okay for me to kill you just because I would die if I didn't, if that's not okay, well then it seems like there's no case where it's okay. I don't think that,
1: uh, I think that people's intuitions are going to massively disagree with you here. Most people, you think? Really? Yes, Hmm. especially if it's like the falling off a building example. Do you think
2: most people would say if they were the ones being killed, that it's it's okay, like it's justified for you to kill me in order to preserve your your future? Let's take the
1: falling off a building example. Yes, Uh, I think that most people, if they are falling off a building and they realize I'm going to fall on you unless you move, they don't think you have the obligation to sit there sure. and take the impact. But but,
2: but the, the falling off the building example isn't really analogous to abortion. Abortion is closer to pulling the trigger example. And so the question is, can I pull the trigger because I'm, I'm actively making a decision? Can I pull the trigger on you? Because if I don't, maybe something else will blow up and kill me. And, and then said,
1: it, let's sure. take the example of if I don't die, I will die unless you will die unless I do something. Right. And my example is clearly that's. There are a bunch of cases where most people's intuition aren't going to agree to that. So the falling off a building example is an example where you're going to die unless I do something.
2: Well, let's Uh, let's make it as analogous to abortion as possible, maybe, which is that I have a button. And if I push it, you die. And if I don't push it, I die. And so I'm not really shooting you, but it's something that I'm doing that's depriving you of your value future. You think in that case, most people would be willing to say it's justified for you to push the button on me. I don't think most people would say that. I think most people would say, hey, that's not fair. Don't push the button on me.
1: I don't disagree with you that most people might say that, right? Sure. But again, this wasn't the argument, right? The claim is that there are at least some cases where if it's one person or the other, it is considered a permissible killing. Self-defense is considered one of them. We can argue about whether or not abortion is analogous to self-defense, but most people think that killing in self-defense is permissible if it's a one-to-one does that
0: and that's where mother's going to die right I mean that's yes. essentially what you're describing whether yes. that's permissible a lot of people would say yes yes
1: and I actually think even in the current Texas
0: example there's a making an exception to it I I think you're right. Yes. I remember hearing that.
2: I think people's answer to this very would vary on whether or not they're the person being killed in self-defense. That's what I think. And I think that is evidence of the fact that it's actually not immoral. I think a a person falling, if they had time to think, would think you need to stay there to save my life. I think a person, I think a person who is a baby growing in a house would say, no, you can't kill me just to stop me growing. That's not fair. You brought me into this. Or I think a person on a life raft would say, You can't kick me off your life raft. That isn't fair. I think most people who would be killed in self-defense wouldn't say, yes, it was appropriate for you to kill me in self-defense. They'd say, it's not fair of you to deprive me of my future in order that you get your future. I feel like that would be the answer. And I think that that is evidence of the fact that actually deep down, people do feel this way, that that it is immoral. I don't know. We're going a little too far down the rabbit hole, I think, especially with the time that we're at. But Yeah, I think that if that's the course you end
1: up taking then we're just going to be at loggerheads period because if you say I mean we have an example here in the case where the mother will die if the child is brought to term the child will die if the mother uh, if there's an abortion you can couch that in a couple of different ways but what you're just going to end up with if if we say that you are not permitted to ever kill in that situation is just two competing claims and there. there isn't an answer. It's the person falling off the building example. The person who's going to be landed on says, well, I don't think I should have to stay here. And if what you're saying is correct, the person who's falling says, well, no, you do not have to stay there. So
2: I think the ethical thing to do is to stay there. I think that's insane. <laughs> 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 but maybe we could just
1: table that situation, sure. right? So out of these two arguments, the Marquis argument and the Jarvis Thompson argument, one of the things that they both do is both of them say, let's take abortion seriously as a killing, right? And actually, both of these arguments come to a similar conclusion, which is that they both say abortion is permitted sometimes, and that one of them says is going to push for that sometimes being a lot bigger, the Jarvis Thompson, but even Jarvis Thompson says it would be immoral to have an abortion at like the 21st, sorry, at like the 40th week of uh, your term, just because it conflicted
2: with like a vacation or something like that,
1: <laughs> right? <laughs> Peter is shaking his head. I just
2: don't understand. I, I just cannot get to that level of like, well, it suddenly is not okay. It's it's a, it, it. just, I I don't understand the the size of the burden on your life being the determiner of if something's moral. I, I can't figure it out. Okay, but this is an
1: example where you actually agree with her,
2: right? Yeah, and, he, and you're just trying to walk back logically I mean, I agree with her conclusion here, but I I don't agree with the fact that the conclusion changes based on the size of the burden. To me, it's like it, it comes you're, it, you're it comes off as insane. Either, yeah, either or, I, I am at a corner solution. Yeah, yeah. 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 and it's it, I'm always stunned by people who aren't at a corner solution. Seems like always, never. Is but you're right kind of weird to me. Yeah, I, 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 well, I, I I'm so, I'm long so long weird day. I can't even understand people. <laughs> solutions. like it, it's jarring to me. So. <laughs> <laughs> to me, I'll take an always person over sometimes person. This is, you know, it, it's it's very confusing to me to, to not be always, never in this case. I'll sometimes take an always person.
1: but
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> That was so Norm McDonald of you there. <laughs>
0: God, God rest his soul. So.
1: One thing that you can see from these two arguments, though, is that they both take that abortion is a killing seriously. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I don't think you find in a lot of current defenses of abortion. So I would say that if, if you want to make the claim that abortion is permissible, going the Judith Jarvis Thompson route is a much more profitable way to argue. And if you want to make the claim that abortion is impermissible, talking about the permissibility of killing and what makes killing immoral is a better way to reach people across the aisle then immediately starting out by saying abortion is murder, right? Uh, What you want to say is something like, well, let's look at, you know, look at cases of abortion. What is, does this fetus have a future of value, et cetera? And then I actually think, though, that there's something about the Jarvis Thompson argument, which I think is kind of cheating. And so maybe I can get back to that a little bit. The Jarvis Thompson argument says, let's take this example of Val, the violinist. And then she says, this is analogous to examples where this is analogous to pregnancies that are the result of rape, right? You've been kidnapped, it was done against your will, this kind of thing. Um, And I actually think there's a bigger disanalogy there than the Jarvis Thompsons of the world want to admit. And that is that I think you have... More of an obligation to a organism that is has at least half of your uh, biological material than you are to a violinist who gets hooked up to you. This yeah. goes back to my principle, principle, of, principle of
0: partiality, Permissible. Permissible Permissible partiality, partiality yeah. which
1: is not only do you have permission to weight those people that are uh, related to you and close to you more heavily, you actually have an obligation to, and so I think you have a much weightier obligation to something that is that close to you, you have much more of a weighty obligation to that than you would have to this figurative violinist. So I think that should actually make you more inclined to say you have a duty to a fetus that you wear in, you know, the Jarvis Thompson case, you might not have that duty to the analogous violinist. Does that make sense?
2: If I bought your whole argument, then I would buy this <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I, I understand. And I, I do agree, by the way, I, I'm somewhat dismissive of these, but I, I agree that these are better alternative ways of looking at it than the people who say abortion is bur- murder or say, you know, my body, my choice, because you're right. These are two arguments that beg the question and are unwilling to talk about the, the real issue, which I think both of these uh, philosophers do get into the real issue. Uh, so... Despite my uh, maybe disagreement with conclusions, I agree this is the right setup. And so with that,
0: I'm not sure we answered uh, exactly everything in terms of how we can solve society's
2: problems on abortion, but we've definitely nailed some important issues. Yeah, and I I think that I don't know if everybody's comfortable with like stating their positions, but I, I am. So I am pretty firmly opposed to abortion, except in that case that I mentioned ectopic pregnancies, which I wouldn't even call that abortion. I'd call it something else. But that does not translate to me into necessarily legislation. Although, you know, I I think I don't like I don't like our current legislative situation. I don't like the idea that it's this, you know, free right that anybody can do. I don't. But I also don't think that the right way or the best way to approach this is politically. In fact, some of the people I know who have made the biggest difference on this issue, what they do is they literally will pay women's expenses for the time while they're pregnant and they'll pay for the delivery and all this stuff there. They have a charity that they do this. To me, that's the appropriate route to take. Okay, I'm
0: glad you brought that up because I've I've been privately against abortion, but from a public policy standpoint, I'm not so sure that I shouldn't even vote to keep it legal to have abortions, if that makes sense. Like, am I? this is where my real internal conflict comes in, that we are way past due, but I hate to do an abortion part two here. So I think we will try to let yeah. this go as long yeah, much as we need to. But is it moral for me to vote for abortion rights, but yet be privately anti-abortion. And so I, I kind of think from society standpoint, if we, the other stuff and problems that it might uh, maybe having more freedom, but then I struggle with that because it's still a killing. So I kind of come back, back and,
2: and forth. And I want to, before everyone else gets their chance to make my position clear, I am against legal abortion. I don't mm-hmm. think that that is a, a, the proper way for society to go. But I also don't think the best way to fix the problem involves like repealing Roe v. Wade or something. I don't think that that solves the problem like people think it will. I don't think that's the best way to fix this. And you would take a private approach or private Uh, personally. I would spend more time with private private donations to pregnancy crisis centers than I would legislative lobbying because I don't think that's a valuable use.
3: Personally, I would say like think the abortion itself is immoral, um, but I don't. I think. America especially has had a good way of letting people choose their own way of living their life. And so I think that's where, for me, I say I'm I'm against it, but then I can't tell someone else that they can or cannot do that action.
0: Then I think you're going to fall right back into the trap. I I can see Justin boiling here, uh, but you'd allow somebody to kill somebody else. Is is it, you know, that's where we get into these core issues that you correctly brought up and that I sometimes struggle with on what that looks like public policy-wise versus how you contract yourself because maybe as I think Peter's saying another public policy choice would be to allow freedom to come up with private solutions all right Justin you um, all right I agree
1: with uh Peter that so you're going to come back to us as a moral to, again I uh, got it the best way to fight this battle is to make the moral case first and uh, you know if you try to make the legal case and before you make the moral case it's a I think that is going to be counterproductive. But at the same time, you can imagine, that you know, living in ancient Phoenicia where people were sacrificing their children. To, yeah, you know, that was. It's I, all ball at the end of the yeah. day. Uh, so so. If, if they're sacrificing their children, you know, you can imagine people saying, well, you know, I don't think, I think it's wrong to sacrifice our kids, but, you know, I don't want to stop anybody. i would like <laughs> to, you know, if you want to sacrifice your kids, that's fine. I don't want to be, you know, a kind of, you know, uh, the kind of person who stops somebody from killing their kids, right? So uh, if you take the Marcus argument seriously, that abortion is a impermissible killing, then I think that does put you in the kind of position where you have to say something like, you know, the old slogan that used to be the slogan was keep abortion safe, legal and rare, right? That might be a compromise, but it's it's mm-hmm. not a very good one if, if you actually think that abortion is an impermissible killing. Yeah, It might be better than what seems like the current slogan, which is like, yay abortion or whatever. <laughs> but still, if you think abortion is an impermissible killing, it's and you also think that, well, normal killings ought to be against the law, then it seems like you're in a position where you would have to advocate the legal
2: prohibition on at least most abortions. Yeah. I think uh, something that like hammered this home for me was I once attended a talk by Gianna Jessen. And so she's very famous because she's one of the only saline abortion survivors. And so she at, at like seven or eight months, very premature, survived a saline abortion. And actually the law at the time in the state, I can't remember what state she was in, re- required that you basically, you leave the, the baby to die, even if they survived the abortion. So she very much was not supposed to live. This abortion should have killed her. Then she should have been left to die. But the nurse at the time basically defied orders. Either, I can't remember if it was unknowingly or, or, you know, a stance that she took. But so there's this woman who's alive. She's walking around and she does speaking conferences. And this is the voice of people who we don't get to hear their voice because they're all killed. But someone who survives an abortion to me, that makes it impossible for me to say something like, I'm okay with your right to choose, even though I don't personally support it, because there's someone out there who someone tried to kill who's alive, and we can hear that. And so to me, that that takes legal abortion, at least in a lot of circumstances, off the table for me.
0: Um, well, and that's the thing. Abortion is not going to disappear if we ban it, right? So the, there's still going to be abortions going on, just like we, we make heroin illegal, heroin's still going to go That's on. true so, of
2: murder, too, though, right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, yeah,
0: yeah, very true. This yeah. is my, this is my,
2: my but, least favorite but, libertarian argument.
0: Yeah, well, and, and but maybe there is yeah, something yeah. there to, you know, if, if there would be more or less deaths going on. Uh, and also, a little piece of me thinks depriving what some women perceive as their freedom in the world and the liberty, does that allow them other pursuits or other... Reflections that we are disproportionately impacting the worldview of women who believe that that's their right. If that makes sense, I mean, I, I think there's some other tangential things going on outside of just the killing of the baby, but yeah, and I mean, and half the fetuses that are aborted are women, right, So, all right. Well, with that, one of our longest episodes ever. So, listeners, if you made it all to the way, you must be really engaged with us. I thought we needed to just let the clock run on this, and uh, I'm glad we did. It's uh, good to flesh flesh out these issues. So, this has been a production of the Gorton Institute here at Ottawa University. Thank you all for listening, and we will be back next week with another episode that is not on abortion. Other than that, be fruitful and multiply. Thanks.